morning. Good morning. It's a blessing to uh, to stand in front of you as always. Um, I just I just feel so full this morning. Uh, God's presence is is here in this place, obviously, and um, just to be able to worship like that, uh, just it just fills me up. So. Um, we're going to uh, look at John 19. Um, well, we're in John 19, uh, it talks about death, burial, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it says a lot of that in, in John 19 and even spilling over into uh, John 20. Uh, it talks a lot about it. Um, and so instead of looking at all of that, um, we're kind of going to look at it through a smaller window, um, which would be much easier. Uh, Jesus explains what is going on in the death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, he, explain, he explains it um, in more simpler terms in John 3, 14, and 15. Um, and we're going to look at that. Um, it's the, you may have heard it. Uh, you may not have heard it, but he tells the disciples, he tells his people that his death, burial, and resurrection, he's comparing it to uh, a point in Numbers, the 21st chapter, uh, where Moses, the people of Israel are bitten, they're complaining, uh, go figure, uh, they're complaining about God, and, and uh, he's actually providing bread for them. And they're getting tired of the bread. Um, we, we've had this talk before about bread. I don't even see what the complaint was about. He's giving them bread. Um, it probably wasn't yeast rolls, but it was bread. So how can you go wrong? Um, and they just start complaining. And so God, they were actually complaining in Numbers 20. They're complaining more in Numbers 21. And so finally God gets fed up. He just sends snakes among them poisonous snakes, and a good number of the people are taken out by the snakes. Um, and so God tells Moses to take some brass and beat the brass into the shape of a serpent, a snake. Beat it into the shape of a snake, put it on a pole, and lift up the pole. And that these people, when they have been bitten by the poisonous snakes, that if they would just look to the pole, then they would be saved. And so Jesus, referencing that in John 3 and 14, says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, so the Son of Man be lifted up. Um, and so looking at that, John 3 and 14, we're going to read it and pray. Uh, and, it's, and Jesus said, he goes on right after this. Right after this is John 3.16. Well, of course, he says, for God so loved the world, but he gave his only begotten son. Uh, but right before that, he says the same thing, but in a different way. Uh, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone believed, who believes in him will have eternal life. And then he says it in a different way, for God so loved the world. And it's the same thing. And so what he's saying about this, what Jesus is trying to tell them is that to understand, because he's, he's tried so many times to explain to them 
I know you, I know you wanted me to come and just take over the world um, uh, with the sword. He said, but I'm not going to run. I'm not going to rule the way that you thought I was going to rule. I'm not going to set my kingdom up the way that you thought I was going to set it up. Um, and so he says, as, as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man is lifted up. And he's saying, to understand what I'm doing, it would help you to understand what Moses did. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look back at what Moses did. We're going to make sense of it. Uh, we're going to draw the parallel to the cross, and, 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 and that'll be it. So before we do that, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for all of your many blessings. We thank you for, uh, God, this opportunity to speak to your people. Um, God, I thank you for my family here. I just I love them so much. Um, the opportunity to be with them, to fellowship with them, to do life with them every day. Uh, it's not something I take for granted. I love them so much. Um, and they're so dear to my heart. Uh, God, we ask that you forgive us of our sins even right now. Uh, wash us with your forgiveness, God. Uh, remove it, anything um, in, our, in our hearts and minds, God, that would hinder us from hearing from you and from experiencing you in these moments. Um, I love the song that we, we just sang, uh, God, that says, we're all searching for answers that only you provide. Uh, only you provide. Um, and so, God, we just ask that you provide some answers today. Uh, we all need to hear from you. So speak to us. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, Moses says, uh, or John, Jesus says of Moses, in the same way, even so, equally so, in, in, the, in the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, in the same way, equally so, the Son of Man shall be lifted up. And so when I, when I look at that story, and of course they're bitten by the snakes, and they look up, and it, 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 it kind of doesn't make sense in a way. I, could, I, I see why he would have them make something and then have them look up at it. But it was interesting to me and a little confusing to me of what they were looking up at. What the source of healing was was a little confusing to me because if he would have put, even though at that point the cross had no uh, significance to the people, if he would have said, well, put a little a little T at the top of the pole, and, and we would have known, okay, well, it's the cross. And so, okay, well, that would have made sense. Uh, or put some scrolls. They didn't have the Bible yet, but they, they read from scrolls. And what they had, the scriptures they did have, were on scrolls. And so if he would have said, take the brass and beat it into the shape of some scrolls and put that on top of it, and they'll look to that because the scroll symbolizes the word at that point. And so... But he doesn't say that to people who are being bitten by snakes and killed by snakes. He said, put a snake on a pole. Put a snake on a pole. And when they look to the snake, uh, that they would experience healing. And so that, that, that didn't really make sense to me um, in trying to make sense of that. Because in my mind, okay, the snakes are the problem, okay? 
And so to me, I mean, I'm not a genius. Uh, I, I didn't even do that good at math. But to me, problem plus problem uh, uh, just equals more problems. Um, and so God, and in, in, in what we're trying to see here, can God use the problem as the solution? Can God use the problem as the solution? The snakes are the problem. And so God is saying to Moses, I'll use the problem as the solution. Can God do that? Can God do that? Can he use the problem as a solution? Can he use the obstacle as the advantage? Can he do that? Can God take what's killing you and cure you? Can he do that? And after thinking about it and praying about it, I thought, well, he must be able to. Surely he's able to. He must be able to. And we see some proof of that because even in the natural, when they want to prevent the flu, they give you the flu. That's it. They give you the flu. <laughs> they give you the flu. It's, it's, it, it, it's kind of crazy. It sounds kind of crazy, but this is the way God does things. And, it's, and it seems so ironic that when the flu would be what I am trying to get away from, that they would put, in essence, put some of the flu in a syringe and give me the flu. Even when you are bitten by a snake, uh, if you were bitten by a poisonous snake and they give you the antivenom, well, what we call antivenom is really a mixture that contains, get this, venom. Venom. And so it's, it's that whole thought that God, only God, only God can take the problem and make the solution. Only God can take the obstacle and make the obstacle the advantage. Only God can take what's killing you and cure you with the same thing. It's, 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 it's really something. And when you think about it, the best defense to going through something is to go through something. That's why when you, when you see kids, uh, you see kids, you don't want to, uh, when kids are growing up, you have these young kids and you care so much about your babies and, and you don't want to put them in a bubble, okay? Because if you put them in a bubble and you, and obviously you don't, you don't want them to, uh, sickness to harm them, but if you put them in a bubble, to the point to where they just never get sick. What you're doing in, in trying to prevent them from getting sick, you're really setting them up for failure. Uh, I'm sure any parent here would tell you that it's actually good for a young child to get sick sometimes. It's actually good for them because what it does is it builds up their uh, their immune system. And so the problem, the solution to getting sick is to get sick. The solution to getting sick is to get sick. And you think about the medical field, the, the very symbol, the symbol for the medical field. The symbol, and you go into a doctor's office and you look at his degree, the very symbol for, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to it, but the very symbol 
of health and treatment of sickness is this same thing, a, a serpent on a pole. It's this very same thing. That is the symbol for the medical field. That in some way, using what you are going through to treat you. And we all know the best defense to going through something is, is going through something. And when you, you never, when you have, but when you have never gone through anything, you really don't have any defense. Uh, Your defense is so low because you can't handle it. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why people get so worried when a baby has a fever because because their uh, immune system hasn't been built up by experiencing things. And so anything, almost anything can kill them. Almost anything can kill them. And when you haven't gone through anything, uh, almost like AIDS, AIDS, you look at the, uh, the immune deficiency syndrome that AIDS is, it just means that you don't have any resistance to attack. And so literally, when you have AIDS, anything can kill you. A cold, a common cold, a cold can kill you. Something that, would, uh, that someone else would experience and brush off in a, in a weekend would, would end the life of someone whose uh, immune system has been broken down in that way. And so when you've, and when you've never gone through anything, you really have put yourself, you really are in a position to where you don't have much of a defense. You don't have much of a defense. And so anything can kill you. Sometimes we, we look at people who are not going through anything and we think, oh man, this person over here, they've never gone through anything. Life is just so easy. I know we've all thought, raise your hand if you thought that one time or another. You've seen somebody who just seems to have it really easy. And you like, oh my gosh, they just have it so easy. You know, they got Kool-Aid coming out of their faucet. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like, why can't Kool-Aid come out of my faucet? What is the Columbia Water Company doing that... Water comes out in that form, but then why can't it happen to me? Um, how much are they paying on their bill when that's happening? Uh, we've all said that, but when I see somebody who's never gone through anything, when I see somebody whose life just seems to be a bed of roses, I see someone who has spiritual aids. I see someone that because they have never been through anything, they have no defense, and, and, and they're... they're their, their, their system, their spiritually, your immune system hasn't been tested. And so it is something about going through things that build you up in a way that good times does not. Going through things build you up in a way that good times does not. And that's why David said in Psalms 119, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. That was a good thing that I was afflicted. Joseph said in, in Genesis, he said to his brothers when they did him wrong, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. It just built me up. And a lot of times when God is trying to produce greatness in you, he allows you to come up under attack. When God is trying to make you strong, he allows you to be attacked. He allows you to be attacked. We've talked before about the pearls. We've talked before about the pearls. And so you have the oyster. And so we know 
from talking about this before that when the oyster, when some contaminant or some outside force gets into the oyster that is trying to attack the oyster or the clam, it releases a substance when it, when it realizes that it is up under attack. It releases a substance that coats the thing that is trying to attack it. It coats it many times over. And this is how pearls are formed. And when God wants to form something valuable in you, when he wants to form your faith, when he wants to form a, a, a relationship, a valuable gem-like relationship in you, a lot of times he'll allow you to go through attack. Knowing that there are there's certain things that are just released in you that don't get released in good times. You can, and you can say what you want. Nobody prays like you pray when your soul is up under attack. Nobody, there's a, certain, there's a certain intensity to your prayer life. There's a certain intensity to read, even to reading your Bible when your soul is in trouble and you're going through something. There's a, a certain intensity, just a certain something. I don't even know what you would call it, a certain something that is only released when you know you're in trouble. That certain something that says, God, if you don't do it, if you don't do it, I don't know how it's going to get done. God, if you don't help me, I don't know how I'm going to be helped. God, I am leaning on you. I am leaning on you. And that thing, when that thing is released in you, the Bible says that you are blessed. And that's why the Bible says, blessed is the man whose trust is the Lord. You're actually blessed to have the posture of leaning on him. And that's why the Bible says also that his strength is made perfect in weakness. And when God wants to show you his perfect strength, when he wants to create strength inside of you, he'll put you in a situation when you're weak. And then when he gets the glory, you have no choice but to say, oh, if it hadn't been for the Lord, because I know that wasn't me. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, if I... And that only comes when you're up under attack. The strongest people I know, and, and there are certain people, and when you talk to them, and, and we have them here, we have them here in this crowd, there are certain people, when you talk to them, you just know that they're just a value, almost like their relationship with God has an enamor to it, has a shine to it. Their, the, the, their relationship with God has a, a, a glow to it. Uh, a luster to it. And when you sense that in someone, you know that they have been through some storms. You know that they've been through some things. Because pearls aren't formed when everything is good. Pearls aren't formed in good times. Now, I like good times as much as the next man. I, I love it when the check comes in the mail. I love it. I got, I got, I got a check for the... Um, I guess this is a sign that my credit is getting better. When I get these checks in the mail from the loan company, and, there's a, and the, it's like, well, cash it. If you cash it, then you've entered into a loan with us. And I got the check in the mail, and Tessa's like, you, you shouldn't cash it. I was like, well, let's pray about it. Um, <laughs> I mean, how can you? You didn't, even, you didn't even talk to God. How can you just know that? <laughs> we threw it away. We threw it away. We threw it away. I went back in the trash can. I was like trying to... 
it was too late. It was, she ripped it up into too many pieces. Why would you do that? Uh, but I, I, I love good times as much as the next man. But those don't do anything for you. And good times only good times only should only help you recover from the storms that you've been through. Good times are just good for recovery. And when God wants to form something inside of you, he'll send you through a storm. David is walking along and he's doing good. And the 23rd Psalms, uh, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green grass. Everything is all good. He leads me beside the still waters. Everything's all good. He restores, he restores my soul. Oh, God, you're just so good. And the next thing you know, he, all of a sudden now, he's leading me now. He's been leading me all this time. Now, all of a sudden, I find myself uh, in, the, in the valley of the shadow of death. Would God lead me into the valley of the shadow of death? Would God take me the same God? Everything was in, there may be some of you in here now. You're just walking along with God and everything's going good. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a storm. And it's like, God, how did I get here? I read my Bible every day. I pray every day. I, I do the things you want me to do. I pay my tithes. How did I end up in the valley of the shadow of death? But God will lead you into it purposely leads you into those things wanting to shape greatness inside of you. The Bible says that Jesus was baptized, and as soon as he's done getting baptized, the Bible says that he was led by the Spirit, not by the devil. He was led by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil in the wilderness. By the Spirit, he was led into hunger. By the Spirit, he was led into pain. By the Spirit, by the Spirit, he was led into loneliness. By the Spirit, would the Spirit do that to me? Would God do that to me? Would he lead me into loneliness? Would he lead me into hurt? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. And he's a good, good father. He's still a good, good father. Even when he does that, he's still good. And that's why Job said, because he questioned God at first, but then he had to conclude after going through things that the Lord giveth away, the Lord, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's God when he he's God when he's blessing you. He's God when checks are coming in the mail. He's God when the refrigerator is full, but he's God when the refrigerator is empty. He's God. He's God when the when the account is full, but he's still God when the bank account is in the negative. He's still God. And, and he's no less God when you're going through as he is when the good times are rolling. And sometimes we, the Bible said, Paul said, he said, when you go through hardness, when you go through hard times, he said, don't react as if some strange thing happened to you. Like you came upon bad times and it's like, God, oh, what in the world? Why, why would you have me out here? He said, don't act like something strange is happening to you because you should know and expect that the, that the God that loves you so much, he loved you enough to lead you into hurt. He loved you so much, he led you into loneliness. He loved you so much, he, he led you into betrayal. He loved you so much, he let your friends walk away from you. He loved you so much that he, that he let them. Oh, he, he, he loved you so much, he just allowed them. He allowed them to talk about you. He allowed them to isolate you, knowing what would come out of you in those times. 
Paul said in, in Philippians 3.10, he said, Oh, that I might know him in the, in, in the power and the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. He said that I might know him in the fellowship of his suffering. You don't know, and what Paul was really saying is, you really don't know Jesus until you've been through hard times with him. You, and, and you really don't know anybody, for that matter. You really don't know anybody until you've gone through uh, hard times with them. I, I, I'll tell you this again, and I've told you this before. Anybody will eat filet mignon with you. Anybody. Somebody who doesn't like you will go to uh, the Rio's Brazilian Steakhouse and, and, and let them, good gosh, my stomach is hurt, uh, uh, and let them come bring out the lamb and then bring out the chicken and then bring out the steak. But we got to go when we, get, when, we, we, uh, when we leave here. But any, anybody will do that with you. You can just scroll through your phone and close your eyes and land on somebody. Boom, you want to go to Rio's? It's on me. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, I'll go to Rio's. Yeah, I'll do it. I would, and, and, and just, and I, I use analogies, but if any of you were to take the analogy seriously, I would, I would actually go. And if you don't believe me, then ask me after service. Me and Tessa really would. We really would go. Um, but you really don't know someone in good times. That's why one of the first thing when, when me and Tessa went on our first date, when I, I really wanted to see if she was in this for the long haul, ask, ask her where we met. McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's. And she didn't, she didn't go anywhere. She didn't flinch. We met in the parking lot. We didn't even eat there. I just wanted to test her to see if she was real. And she, and she didn't even flinch. I said, God, she is a keeper. I said, she's a keeper. She, she met me at McDonald's and we walked towards the door and I did the U-turn. I was like, okay, we're not even, we're not even really going there. We, we, uh, we, we went to Subway. We, we went one level up. We went to Subway. We didn't go to McDonald's. I you think I was going to take my baby to McDonald's? I, I, I treat her better than that. We, we went to Subway. It was always fresh. We went to Subway. And there is something about going through with God when he reveals parts of himself that otherwise you would never see. And God... In, in, in an effort to get you to know him better, he'll allow you to go through things. There's some of you in this room, and, and, to, and, and he will, in different years and different seasons of life, he will allow you to go through different things to see different facets of him. And you think about what you've gone through over the years. What did you learn about God in 2010? You may have learned in 2010 he was a healer because of what he allowed you to go through. You may have learned in 2011 that he was a comforter. You may have learned in 2012 because your friends abandoned you. You may have learned that he was a friend. That sticks closer than a brother. And God will allow you to go through these different things so that he, would, so that he ultimately would show you different facets of who he is. Another thing that we want to do, I want to look at how the, this parallels to the cross because God uses the snake, uh, God uses the snake to bring about healing. And what we want to see is that in Numbers 21, in Numbers 21, the serpent is the Savior. 
But in John 19, the Savior is the serpent. And as Jesus hangs on the cross, he is the serpent. Because at that moment, he is the embodiment of everything that is evil. He is the embodiment of every sin, every witchcraft, every lie, every, uh, I mean, every rape, everything that you could possibly think of, every foul thing that you could possibly think of from the pornography to, to all these different things. And he, in that moment, hanging on the cross, he was the embodiment of all those things. And so God is, we're looking at him and we see a savior. But looking down, God saw a sinner. We're looking at the cross and we see righteousness. But looking down, God just saw sin. God saw wickedness. And the Bible says that because of that, it even says that in 2 Corinthians, I want to say in in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, he became sin that knew no sin. It's not just that he died. He literally, for our sake, he became sin. Became sin so that when God was looking at him, God saw sin. Because if God looking at him, if God doesn't look at him and see sin, God can't exact judgment on him. But the Bible says that when God looked at him, God saw sin. God looked at him and saw our sin. And because he saw our sin, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that he poured out his wrath on Jesus. He poured out his wrath on him. That God, so disgusted by the sin that he saw, that God would look at Jesus and say, kill him. Kill him. God poured out his wrath on him. And so we know in that moment that he is the lamb. He is the lamb that died for our sins. But another animal that we don't really talk so much about uh, in, in, in the Old Testament, there are two different animals that are predominantly used in the dealing of sin and the sacrificing of sin. Number one is the lamb. But in Leviticus, and, and we know that the lamb dies for the sins. And when the lamb dies for the sins, and it has to be a lamb, unblemished lamb. And what happens is a substitution whereby when the lamb dies, the person that is sinned takes the innocence. And the lamb in dying takes on the wickedness. But the other animal that we don't talk so much about is the scapegoat. In Leviticus, we see the scapegoat and what would happen in the, in the purpose of the scapegoat, that they would put the sin on the back of the scapegoat, that the sin would literally be put on the scapegoat and then they would smack the scapegoat and it would go running off into the wilderness. And so you have the lamb who died for the sins, but then you have the scapegoat that took the sins away. And Jesus is not only our lamb, he was our scapegoat, which is why when he was about to be baptized by John the Baptist, John the Baptist looked at him and said, look at the Lamb of God. And not that he died for our sins. John said, look at the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. He took our sins away. And when I think about the fact that he took my sins away, when I think about the fact that he died for my sins, it should, it should make praise erupt in you. 
I was in the back and they were talking about the good, good father. And I began to think about how Jesus died for my sins. And I just fell to my knees. It just fell to my knees. One of my, one of my uh, favorite songs is a song by Lauren Daigle. It says, how can it be? How can it be? You, you plead my cause. You right my wrongs. You break my chains. You, you overcome. He said, you give your life to give me mine. And you say that I'm free. How can it be? How can it be? And it should, it should invoke praise inside of you to know what Jesus did for you. And so we know that because Jesus represented the serpent on the cross, that we being bitten by sin and being in our world, you look around at our world, I don't think that there's any of us in here who would deny that our world is in trouble. And so God, in showing us that as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness and that they looked to the serpent and were healed, God, is, Jesus was telling the disciples, that, and he's telling you that in that very same way, that if we look up to him, that we, when we are bitten, if we look up to him, then we're saved. We're saved. And so what, what posture does this remind you of? I'm, I'm, I'm bitten, and, I'm, and now I'm down, but I look up. This is the posture of prayer. This is the posture that we, we don't really like to assume. People, most, for the most part, have no, problem, uh, have no problem reading their Bible, but what I've found is that people don't talk to God. People don't pray. And, and we talk about how prayer is gone out of the schools and we talk about how prayer is gone out of the homes. Well, I was praying this week and one thing God brought to my attention is that prayer is gone out of the church. We come here and we, and we, sing, uh, we sing songs to God and, 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 we, and we praise him and, 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 and we preach, but we don't pray. And Solomon, when God was talking to him in 2 Chronicles, the 7th chapter, God said to Solomon, Solomon, please don't forget to pray. The temple was just built, and he's reminding him, even on the back door of success, please don't forget to pray. In Solomon, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, God reminds Solomon, he said, Solomon, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I send locusts to devour the land. Or if I send disease among my people. He said, if any of these things happen, and he, and he even says that I'll do it. He says, but if I do this, he says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. And for whatever reason, we don't pray. For whatever reason, we, we, we don't talk to God, and I'm just as guilty of it as anybody. But I, I am of the belief that whether we're talking about your house or whether we're talking about something in God's house, just because you don't use it doesn't mean that it doesn't work anymore. And just because we stop praying doesn't mean that prayer stopped working. And prayer works. I remember when I was, well, I don't know, I remember my parents had told me about the time that the doctor said I wouldn't walk. And they could have taken, they could have received that answer, but they said, no, let's see what God has to say about it. 
And so they prayed. They prayed. And I got, I, my, my knee gets sore sometimes. That's because I weigh too much. It's, but but I'm, 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 I'm walking just fine. Because they accepted that prayer, God was the ultimate answer. And so in looking to him, the ultimate way to look to him is to pray. Is to pray. And so the band is going to come on. And, and as they come, as usual, we're going to have the uh, communion available for you. But one thing I want to do today, um, if any of you needs prayer in any way, um, I'm going to shut my mic off while I do that, but I'm, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. So we're not going to throw off the flow of our service. Like I said, they're going to, they're going to play. The communion is still available. But if any one of you wants prayer about anything, um, the Bible does talk about when, when a need arises, the Bible talks about calling for the elders of the church and that they prayed for the people. And so I, I know it's old-fashioned. I know it's out of style. But God wants us to pray. God wants us to turn, God wants us to turn back to prayer. I know, it's a, I know it's a lost art, and I know we don't do it as much, and we don't talk about it. And it's almost as if we just don't acknowledge prayer. But we need to turn back to praying.